podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothband back in the chair for another season. Welcome to the home of the champions. Lots to discuss. Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling, Alexander Sinchenko have all departed. So who's the biggest loss? Who are you going to miss the most? In come Calvin Phillips, Stefan Ortega, Erling Haaland and Julian Alvarez. So who are you most excited about? Uh, we've got that sort of small match of the pre-season friendly. We lost at Leicester at the weekend to talk about. We look forward to the hammers at the London Stadium and we reflect on the season ahead. So to discuss that and much more, I've got three Mancunians, three massive blues. Welcome back, first of all, to Dave Hodgson, who's uh, not been on for a while. Good to have you back, Dave. Hi, Nigel. Great to be here. Uh, welcome also to Paul Stato-Denby. Hi, Paul. Hi, Nigel. Great to be back for a new season. Good to have you. And last but certainly not least, welcome back to Sarah Messenger. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Nigel. Really good to be here. Listen, before we talk City, can we just spend a few moments reflecting and celebrating English football's first major tournament win since 1966. Sarah, listen, your thoughts and reflections first, please, on that amazing, amazing victory. It was amazing. And I'm sure like all three of you, um, I couldn't get tickets to the final. We went to the quarterfinal. Uh, I wish I could have been there yesterday at Wembley, but we made a bit of a party of it watching it at home. And as as somebody who's played played football since I was six, I yeah, it was very very emotional and very special. I think the the profile of women's football, the standard of women's football, the the fact that the the way the crowd behaved, the mood com- when you compare that to the you know disgraceful scenes that we all witnessed uh, for the men's Euros last year, um, and and kind of the way in which a number of the players now are absolutely acknowledging and paying tribute to the women. You know, I, I, I don't for a minute want to include myself in this, but women who, who've gone before them, who struggled even to play for England, they were having to pay for their own kit and were having to hold down jobs as well as play for the country. And many, many other women who've battled, uh, you know, bullying in the playground and all they wanted to do was play some player sport that they loved, and that included me. So full of pride, very happy that... The nation got to celebrate a victory in a in a major t- tournament. I'm glad the women beat the men to it uh, in terms of winning the Euros first. Um, and I really hope it, it does create a legacy and makes a big difference moving forward. Because certainly for those of us under the age of 60, it's the first time we've seen England win anything. And um, I think it will make a profound difference. So a, a brilliant, brilliant day and night. And, and of course, the winner scored by a City player. A city player. The first ball assisted by a City player. So a pretty perfect day. Sure. And just before we go in, introduce the lads on this and get their view as well, I'm just interested in two things, really. Firstly, did you, as you've been playing the game a long time, did you come up against problems or discrimination, sort of people thinking you shouldn't be playing? So, so that's the kind of the first part. I'm just interested in someone who has played the game and, and now coaching at a reasonable level as well, of course. And then secondly, Sarah, your thoughts about what impact this could or should have on the game going forward? I mean, in answer to your first question, Nigel, I I basically played with boys on the estate where I lived when I was growing up, and that was fine until I got to be about 12 or 13 and puberty properly kicks in and the boys didn't want to play with a girl anymore. And at that stage, I didn't wasn't aware of any local teams where girls could play. We didn't play it at school. 
Um, so my football career kind of just stalled for 10 years. And then once I'd been to university and I went to, I went to live in London and I managed to find a women's team in London that I started playing for. But those kind of really important years between 12 and 21, 22, I, did, I barely played any football. And, and I also, I was never coached. So if I had any ability, it was kind of just practising playing with the boys and whatever, but I'm watching a lot of football and going to the main road with my dad and just sort of observing what, what football is about. But so that, yeah, that, and, and yeah, when we played in, played as a, in a women's team, we often got abuse on the sidelines. Um, not all the time. There have been lots of men who've been very supportive of women's football through the years, so it's certainly not all men that behave like that, but sadly... And we saw it yesterday. You know, you look at any form of social media yesterday, about 80% of the blokes on there were brilliant and positive and proud and, you know, shared the passion and the enjoyment as much as any woman who's ever played football or loves football. And then 20% were the idiots that we see at Euro 2021 um, and often at football games who... You know, who, I mean, I, I can't even, I'm not going to use words to describe them because it'd be a waste of energy, but you, you know what I mean. Sure. And, that, and I think, so in, in a way, the positive is I think that 80% of men are incredibly supportive and proud and enjoyed the game. The standard of football is a million miles from the standard it would have been 10, 20 years ago. Um, but on the other hand, there's still a significant minority of men who behave with, you know, who are sexist and misogynist, and they need to be called out preferably by their, their by other men. That's the most powerful thing I would encourage men, men to call them out. And just, just finally, from you, Sarah, just your thoughts, I suppose, hopes and fears, really, in terms of going forward now. This could be an amazing platform from which to build. I mean, the, the excitement it's created. You think of young girls who would just love to put on an England shirt and see that they can, they can play at Wembley, win, win a major tournament. Just the, the opportunity this presents is fantastic, isn't it? It's amazing. I, I don't want to give my age away, Nigel, because, you know, I'm, I'm very young, but I just wish I was... 40 or even possibly 45 years younger, what I would give to be a little girl who loved football and, and be able to potentially be taken to the City Academy, you know, whether I get in or not is another matter, but just to be able to think that I could have um, lived that life and enjoyed the opportunities that I think young girls are going to get now. And that I just think is amazing. And I, if we don't make the most of this opportunity, I think Ian Wright put it really well when he was interviewed the other day. If we, 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 you know, it will be a scandal if we don't make the most of the opportunity this has given us. And I, the one final thing I'd say is, go and watch City Women. They're a brilliant football team. The tickets are very sensibly priced. I think it's £10 for an adult ticket. We need to see 20, 30, 40,000 at women's, uh, women's Super League games this season, not the two or 3,000 that we often get. And that that would be an amazing legacy as well. Sure, brilliant. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Stato, I'm interested in your, your view. You, did you watch the game? Did you enjoy it? I did watch the game. I watched the semi-final. I watched parts of the quarter-final. And I watched a bit of the group games as well. I couldn't watch every single game. I thought it was amazing. The standard of football is fantastic. The technical ability is superb. Um, the pass that uh, Kieran Walsh played through for the, for the first goal and the way she took that first goal was just absolutely brilliant. And then Chloe Kelly stabbing in at the in the middle of the goal, reacting very quickly to get the winning goal. Fantastic. I was jumping out of my seat um, with my wife was as well. 
as supporting City women as well, I've been to quite a few games. I've taken my wife. She, she loves going as well. She's been to the men's game as well. But we go to see City women, particularly, uh, I don't live in Manchester anymore, as you, as you know. So when they, when they play near where I live, we go. And I've been to Wembley to see them in the FA Cup final when they beat West Ham a couple of years or so ago. It's great. I love it. Um, I, 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 get, I get passionate. Uh, Manchester City men just make me boil over and make me... Uh, it's because of where I've come from originally. But I still love the women's game. I watch City on TV, City women on TV when they play and it's a live game. So I love it. As for the England team yesterday and the, the whole championship, the one player I feel a little bit sorry for, I'm going to mention her now, Steph Houghton. She was injured all season, therefore didn't get in the squad, understandably, but she's been a mainstay of that team, the England team and the City team, for years and years on end. And I hope that she's recognised for what she's built up in the background there for that team, because without her, I'm not sure they'd be as far forward as they are. Maybe they would be, it's difficult to tell, but I think a good shout-out for Steph Houghton as well. That's brilliant. Thanks very much, Tato. And finally, Dave, your thoughts just before we, we move on to City and their, their new campaign for the season. I mean, not wanting to repeat anything that's already been said, because I think we've covered just how, you know, how brilliant they were and how much, you know, the, the powerful force this could be for football. I kind of like to say, you know, big props to to Manchester City here, because, you know, I, I don't, I'm not someone who particularly has you know, really engaged with, um, with sort of women's football at the club level. But, you know, when it came to watching the England games, because the club have integrated its, you know, its media um, channels, I know all the names of the players that, you know, I'm regularly getting updates through Manchester City on how the women's team are doing. And that, I think, just gave people that little bit more of a bridge. And, you know, I, I hear similar things from Arsenal, Chelsea, that they have really tried to normalise that the club is not just the men's team, it is these, the broader offering. And I think that's really helped people get in involved with um, with what's happened and you know also I think the thing that was super interesting to me is watching you know Kira Walsh as um, as Paul mentioned who has the Manchester City DNA so clearly running through the way she plays she plays like a classic Manchester City number six in the Guardiola model and I think it was just fascinating to see clearly how integrated the way the whole club approaches football that a player who plays in such a distinctive style who is not directly coached by Pep Guardiola is playing in that way and no I hope you know as we said I hope this is a real opportunity for um, that integrated offering to go one step further that Manchester City fans who go to the men's games, you know, see that there's, you know, the opportunity to go to the women's games as well. And maybe hopefully next five years, we're seeing them playing at the Etihad rather than at the, um, at the smaller stadium nearby. That's, that's got to be the goal. And I really hope we can get there. Fantastic. Thanks guys very much. Let, let's, let's quickly um, touch on sort of the ins and outs before we talk about that rather ir irrelevant pre-season friendly at Leicester. Uh, and then we can talk about the rest of the, uh, the rest of the season, but I'm going to give you kind of one player each uh, and to, to be the main spokesperson for the, for each player. Uh, and obviously others can interject. So let, let's start with uh, Raheem Sterling, Dave, you, you, you kick off. Would you for me please in terms of just, just your thoughts when we reflect on him going to one of our rivals to be fair uh, we've got a decent price for him as well of course um, good servant for the club uh, maybe not quite at his best the last season or so but you're, as you reflect on Raheem Sterling and him going to Chelsea uh, what, what are your thoughts about that? So I think it's a good deal for all three three parties here. I think Chelsea are getting a fantastic player. He's a player who, you know, the stats don't lie. He has been a fantastic servant for the club. He's not really, you know, there's been a lot of negative talk about him, but really he's not been an off-the-field issue. He's been a player who's given us great service and was one of the key parts of one of the most exciting teams I've ever seen. That said... 
I do feel that the way we have shifted in our formation since Leroy Sane left made Sterling's life that little bit more difficult. And the way in which he is best utilised is never going to fit within our system. So I think it was only fair that Manchester City let him go to a side where he will suit the formation better. And I think he will at Chelsea. Um, do I think it leaves a bit of a gap in um, a more direct runner down the wing? I think there's a potential for that, but it really depends how Grealish kicks on this season. If Grealish can be the player he was at Aston Villa, more, more prepared to take people on, maybe there's more of a role for that now Sterling um, has moved on. But, you know, with the way we've been playing with our wingers, with sort of Foden, Grealish, Mares sort of rotating and cutting inside, it does feel like Sterling didn't quite fit into that. So getting 45 million for a player with 12 months left on contract and, you know, give, giving a chance for a, a player who might not be at the very top club legend here, but it's still a player who the fans will always remember very, very fondly. I think it was the right decision. And, you know, I hope he does well at Chelsea, but not too well. Stato, your thoughts about Sterling briefly. You're going to have your own player to kick off with, but just briefly on Sterling, anything to add to what Dave said? No, I agree with what Dave said. I think Sterling had his moments for City. He was a great servant. Last season and a half or so, not quite hit the peaks that he did early on in his career. Good move for him to go to Chelsea. I hope he succeeds as much as he can without taking any medals or honours off City. So thank you, Raheem, for your years at City. Best of luck for most of the time. Sarah? I mean, I think the, the two guys have put it perfectly. Um, it was time for Sterling to go, I think, and, and the deal seems appropriate for all parties. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gutted he's gone, but I do wish him well because he's, he's been a good player for us. All right, Sarah, as you're, as you're sort of uh, on screen, uh, Alexander Sinchenko, you've got Ukrainian international, obviously had a tough time personally recently, but what a great utility player. Uh, what a great servant to the club. You know, as if this show hadn't been emotional enough already, Nigel. You have to bring Alexander moving on. Um, I mean, I think I think we, we, I'm sure on this show we'll agree with the view of most of the City fans I've had any interactions with recently that he he was a fantastic player for us. He, he, he wasn't a star in the conventional sense of what we mean by a star, but his connection with the fans was as good as any, almost any player that's played for City in the last 10, 15 years. He never let us down. He, I mean, bear in mind his preference would be to play in a more creative midfield role, and he's barely ever had a chance to do that for City, and most of the time has played at left-back. Um, I, I, I think we're, we're very sad to see him go as ever, wish him well. He's got a career, you know, he's, a, he's an ambitious footballer. Um, if he gets more game time at Arsenal, you can, and he's reunited with uh, Arteta, you can understand why that's an attractive move for him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, I think I'm slightly perplexed as to why we've let him go before we seem to have confirmed the signing of the left back, but I also trust that they know what they're doing. So, um, that would have been me even happier if we were discussing a new left back, but that day will come. Yeah, we, we might come on to the left back situation if we have time today. Uh, Dave uh, Zinchenko, your thoughts on him? I mean, you know, top character, clearly a, a big influence in the dressing room. And, you know, it's clear the players were very sad to see him go and it was all all very heartfelt. I do have to say, though, I think for him, Arsenal in a in a way in which he could possibly end up starting in his preferred position. That's probably the best move that was ever going to come around for him. And I think he probably knew that. Um, and in turn, you know, it is it is a shame that we're losing a utility player who could play that left back role quite 
well. But I do think we're kind of leaving at, he's leaving at the point where we rate him at the very peak of how we ever did. There were moments where defensively he did look quite suspect sometimes. He wasn't always the quickest or the strongest player. Um, but, you know, he had heart, he had that versatility. I, I think maybe it's being slightly overplayed how much we'll miss him. But again, and we may come on to that, you know, a lot of it will be down to how we replace him because there is a, a void in that area that does need to be filled. All right. Um, Stato, uh, Gabriel Jesus, gone to Arsenal, scoring scoring at will, scored a hat-trick, I think, uh, I, I read the other day. He did. He scored a hat-trick, didn't he, on the weekend? So he's probably going to score 20, 25 goals this season, their top scorer, and probably get the golden boot as well. Um, I'm sad to see him go. I know there's been a lot of debate with people even on this podcast about his um, adaptation to City. I always thought he was a very, very skillful player. Uh, I didn't think he was a straightforward centre-forward. He played best cutting in. He read a game very well. He could buy time when you needed it. I think he's a loss. If you were to ask me whether I preferred to sell Jesus or sell Raheem Sterling, if it was one of the two, I would have preferred to sell Sterling and keep Jesus. But I'd equally understand that if he wants more first-team football, he's going to get much more at Arsenal than he would at City. So it's a good move for him, but I am sad to see him go. Sarah, Gabriel Jesus. I, I mean, I think Paul, I agree with what Paul's just said. I guess signing Haaland and Alvarez has tempered it slightly, um, but he, he never quite convinced as a main striker, but I'm not sure he was ever meant to be a main striker. I think when he was signed, we all thought we were signing a Brazilian striker. Uh, and as you get when you get new signings, particularly from South America, you get all these clips of amazing bits of skill and and you think, oh, marvellous, we'll be getting that week in, week out. And then sometimes it doesn't always come. Of course, Pep gives them a very specific way to play. But um, I think he is a loss, but I think the signings we've made kind of allow us to let him go and develop his career at Arsenal. And I think he'll be a successor at Arsenal as well. Dave, have you done Jesus? He's he's a special player. I always liked him. I always thought he was the absolute, you know, one of the best players you could have when it was a game, say, Real Madrid away, where you know you're going to have to defend from the front. He always put a shift in and, you know, he was very good for those sort of games. Is he clinical? No. Um, did that rank, uh, certainly rankle members of our fan base? Yes. Um, but I think the, the there was a certain type of game where he is one of those players who you just want to have. And I think Arsenal know that. I think that's what they're going to use him for. And for a guy who probably holds the one of the most important shirts in football, the Brazil number nine, he's going to want to keep that in a World Cup year. He's going to want to be starting every week. He's going to want to be you know the main man at Arsenal. He's going off to do that. Fair play to him. We can't begrudge him that move. I mean, lots of other names, of course, have left City, and I don't think we've got time to go through them all. Some of them on loan, some on permanent deals. Um, but let's just focus now, if we can, for kind of the three main names that have come in. And 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 Dave, you can start us off again. I've got I've got Calvin Phillips at the top. Um, we didn't really see him at the weekend. Um, I don't know too much about him. I have to say, obviously, he did all right at the Euros, I think, with England. Um, but I, you know, I'm I'm not great at looking at other sides and and, and analysing their players. I know a, a fair bit about City. So so help us and help the listeners just understand kind of a little bit more about him as a player. What you think he's going to bring to the side and how excited you are to see him in a sky blue shirt. Well, firstly, there's no greater honour in football than Pep Guardiola deciding you, he wants you to play central midfield for his team. I think that says a lot about the starting point. He's never, apart from his time at England, he's always played for a team that, you know, is 
he's had to, he's had to work at very high intensity under Bielsa, which he's clearly thrived under. Will, will suit us. He's pro, you know maybe not had the occasion to play with the quality of players at club level that he's going to have to with us. So I think there's going to be an adaptation period. But he's got a very good passing range. He's someone who you know definitely puts a shift in. I don't think he's going to be maybe as as physical as we've got used to with Rodri. But again, we have a range of different options in midfield. I can see him playing as a as a number six. I can see him playing as a number eight. You know, we can use him well. He's very comfortable operating from that deeper area, which we expect a a pivot to play in a Guardiola system. So you know, I think he's a you know he's he's a um, he's a very good signing. I dare I say there could be comparisons. Uh, invited with uh, Kira Walsh, who is uh, another player who can um, who drop deep and and can ping passes around at will. So uh, they called him the Yorkshire Pirlo for a reason, and I'm hoping we'll get to see some of that as well at, uh, at Manchester City. Stato, your thoughts on uh, on Calvin Phillips? Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a great footballer. Um, probably will come out better in a, a good Man City team. He did very well at Leeds, plays well at England level. As you say, he was player of the tournament in the Euros for England. His ball recovery rate is one of the best in the league. He's, ta- he's a hard tackler, but he can pass the ball as well. His range of passing is, is, is excellent. I think he'll compete with De Bruyne for some of those free kicks out wide as to who's going to take them, whipping them in. and Maybe he'll take the ones that are aiming at Haaland. Uh, but yeah, I, I, from what I know of him, I've not seen too much of him, but I've seen him in an England shirt, watched a few Leeds games. I think he's a good signing. He'll put a bit of pressure on Rodri and he's an alternate to Rodri, or maybe on occasions he'll play them both. Sarah, anything to add before I give you your particular player? No, other than to just confirm that, in my opinion, Kira Walsh was the England player of the Euros, <laughs> despite them giving it to Beth Mead. <laughs> right, we're going to do it now. Uh, Erling Haaland, he's all yours, Sarah. Off you go. Good. I'm glad he's all mine. Um, Well, I mean, let's be honest. We spent a whole of last season and quite a number of these shows discussing the failure to sign a striker last summer. And if only we could get Haaland and, oh, do you think Haaland will come? Blah, blah, blah. All the links to Haaland in terms of his uh, links to the club. And now we've signed him. And if we're not excited about signing Erling Haaland... A player early on, you know, he's at a stage where he's about to hit, hopefully, his peak. We're not signing somebody who was great for Real Madrid and Barcelona and we're getting them when they hit 31. We're getting a player who, let's be honest, could have gone to Real Madrid this time. He's chosen to come to City. We don't know how long he's going to stay, but I suspect we're going to get at least four or five years out of him. Um, And I don't have any doubts at all that he would be a brilliant footballer for us. Not remotely worried about what happened on Saturday. No doubt, come to. Um, I think he'll be brilliant. I think he'll score lots of goals, and I think that kind of signing is kind of it. It epitomises the journey we've been on for the last fourteen years. The things that we never thought would ever happen are happening, and it's almost not a shock anymore. And that's a testimony to how well the club's been run. I think in that period. And and the ambition, of course, that the club has as well. Uh, Dave, are you uh, you excite, equally excited about seeing Haaland in a city shirt or another oh, Haaland in an, in another city shirt? Massively, it's 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 been rather concerning for me to, for the first time to see a player who I've seen his dad play, and now he's playing. You know, that's a, a worrying mark of age for me. But um, I think he, you know, this, the thing with Haaland that's going to be 
you know, he's, he's a fantastic finisher. He's so different to what we currently have. But what's going to be interesting for him is there is a way that Pep Guardiola tends to expect his strikers to play. And it is going to be a deeper starting position for him. He is going to be expected to come deep, um, you know, in, in the way that, you know, he's, you know, he... he he was looking for Harry Kane for that exact reason, the way he can link in with midfield. I think Haaland is going to have a long period to adapt to that. The difference is, you know, while he's adapting to that, he can still finish. He will still get these chances to do that. So I don't think it's a case that he's going to have a super lean year while he gets used to Manchester City. He's going to still get chances. Hopefully he's able to take them. But I think he's really going to evolve to be a much cleverer player. And it will be very clear that Guardiola has a vision for how he needs to play to fit in with the team. I don't think we're going to go to playing a sort of Alan Shearer-esque number nine. I think it's going to be an evolution of, you know, a, a big centre-forward in the Manchester City Pep Guardiola style. And I think that's going to be a, a big evolution for him, but I'm hoping he'll thrive. Pep very rarely gets these things wrong. You're not to worry, David, because, of course, Stato saw Tommy Doyle's granddad's play, of course, for City. So, so that, that's when you're going to feel really old. Uh, Stato, just uh, without, without mentioning granddad's too much, um, your, your thoughts um, on Har- Haaland before I give you your player? And so did you see his granddad play, Nigel. Um, Haaland is rubbish. He didn't score a goal on Saturday. Missed one from two yards out. is rubbish. He's a failure, according to certain people. Now, of course, he's going to be a, a, a success. Uh, we might have to adapt our play to his style. We want to maybe put a couple more balls over the top occasionally, let him run onto them, let him take them in his stride. He's a big guy. He can. He was up against one of the top defenders in the country on, on Saturday, let's be honest, against Van Dijk. He's not going to come and prevent that sort of centre-half all the time. But even then, he's still got a, a couple of chances. And I think he's going to prove a great asset to the, to the team this season. I don't know how many goals he'll score, but he will score goals. All right. Talking about scoring goals, um, Alvarez did score at the weekend, didn't he, Stato? Uh, took it quite well. Uh, what, what are your thoughts of, on him, finally, before we talk about that game in a bit more detail at the weekend? I'm excited by him. He looks like a good, bustling little player. Uh, I don't want to. I know people are comparing him to Aguero, and it's very hard on the on the on the lad. Uh, but he's got a very similar stature, hasn't he? As well, small, a slow centre of gravity, skillful player as well. Uh, he finished well on on Saturday. I'm excited to see him. I'd like to see whether. Pep's going to play him and Haaland in the same team occasionally, with perhaps uh, Alvarez playing a little bit more, more wide and cutting in, how he's going to do that, or playing off each other. So really excited from what I've seen, limited amount, uh, but uh, as David said a few minutes ago, Pep rarely gets it wrong when we sign players. So let's see how we get on. Sarah, it's difficult not to compare him with uh, Aguero, isn't it? You know, he's Argentinian, he looks a bit like him, he's the same stature as Stato says. It's it's easy to do, isn't it? Or it's, or it's not easy to avoid, surely. Well, it is, and he's getting ringing endorsements from uh, Aguero as well, as, and, and Zabaleta. So, you know, there's been a, a strong Argentinian link for quite a while with Sister, hasn't there? So that, that's probably hyping it up a little bit more. Um I mean, I, I, you know, I think Paul summed him up really well. I, I guess the only thing I would add is that we, um, I, what, in a way, what's exciting me is the fact that we haven't just brought one player in, and large, like we did with Grealish last year, and it'll largely be how we played the preseason before with just, you know, one new player to watch. It does feel like it's going to be a really interesting season. Pep will never change the way he plays, but the the, the number of people that we brought in and the fact that it will have we will have to adapt somewhat to the way we play i think is really you know if we win the league again fantastic if not i hope we see some great football and a sense that 
uh, you know, we've got a young team and we, we will continue to evolve and, and continue to win the Premier League in seasons to, to come. How do you see Alvaro sitting in then, Dave? I mean, he's a wild card. I think this is partly what's so exciting about him. He could be a complete flop. He could be, you know, a, a diamond found in the rough. I mean, he is, you know, it's going to be interesting for him. He's not played, you know, we forget when we signed Aguero, we, you know, he'd been prolific in the Spanish leagues. He got used to a sort of more rigorous, more tactical uh, style of football. Um, you know, oftentimes there are players who come over having excelled in the South American leagues and that just the difference in the way in which we approach the game here can be can be quite overwhelming. I'm hoping that, you know, this is, you know, this means he comes sort of unencumbered with the sort of fear that often comes with players who've been more used to more stringent tactical systems. I'm hoping he's able to come and hit the ground running, but I think it's, you know, there is going to be probably for him more than any of the other players a big bedding in period as he adapts to you know, what is a, a very, very different standard of league. You know, he's an Argentine international. He's, you know, it's, you know, a premier international team to be playing for. He's clearly doing something right to get in ahead of some of the uh, some of the wealth of talent Argentina can field up front. So it's very exciting, but I, I definitely think he's one where, unlike the other deals, there's real potential that this could, um, you know, it could be a little bit of a false dawn. But I'm hoping not. He's got a lot to prove and let's hope he can do it. We've talked a bit, Stato, about uh, our left-back situation. So if we kind of think about maybe the one gap that we have got, and at the end of last season, I remember lots of people talking about, well, we kind of need to get a left-back. Uh, Sarah's already made the good point that Sinchenko's gone before we seem to have secured one. Uh, the Brighton left-back's been talked about, but as we kind of start recording this show, it sounds as though Chelsea are sort of talking seriously to him as well. Um, your thoughts about that? Are you concerned? Obviously, Pep at all these press conferences never ever criticises the club, of course. He'll go with other, whichever squad he's got, always says that. He's always very consistent about that. But what are your personal reflections off if, if we don't get Cucciarella from, from Brighton? Um, are we in the market for somebody else or would you be happy as going into the season with the squad we've got, knowing we've got lots of different options where Ake can play there, Cancelo can play there, different people could slot in at left-back if needed? Seriously, I think we do need a left-back, a uh, proper left-back. Uh, Zinchenko wasn't his proper position. He did very well when he filled in there. Cancelo is fantastic going forward, but I'm not convinced he's the best left-back that uh, we could have. Cucurella has been rumoured to be our first target. We're clearly not prepared to pay the £50 million that Brighton want for him, but it looks like uh, Chelsea are prepared to pay that, and therefore they will get him. Uh, I don't know City's financial situation. They've clearly sold a lot of players this close season, including loads of youth players, and raised a lot of money. And if the difference is 40 to 50 million, I know it's 10 million pounds, uh, but it's in today's football terms, is that an awful lot when you can get that back by having extended runs in, in cups and the Champions League and uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of money, but it isn't a lot of money, if that makes sense. Um, I would be prepared, if I was on the board and understood the finances, I would be prepared to pay that extra. From what I understand, he is the best left-back that's available on the market today, and therefore I would go for him. Um, if we don't get him and he goes to Chelsea, then we've got to find somebody else who is maybe not quite as good. I don't know the European market like a lot of other people might, but we've got to get a left-back, I, I believe. Do you think it's uh, necessary as well, Sarah? You, you implied that was the case earlier on in the show. 
I do, and I, I, I agree with Paul. This is just about, I know City are very good at setting a limit for how much they'll pay for players, and beyond that limit, they will not go. But when when the market has only a, a very small number of options, uh, 10 million in the world of football doesn't sound like it's worth stick it standing your ground on. The only thing that I think is worth saying, though, is that I watched, uh, like, uh, I know I know you, Nigel, and probably quite a few other City fans stayed up to watch the Bayern uh, game, the pre-season friendly. And um, Wilson Esbrand, I thought, played really well as left-back. And I, I just wonder whether, actually, City have got high hopes in this season, not necessarily to be the first-choice left-back in every game, but that their intention is, and what they need is somebody else so that they can rotate him in and out but they don't want to pay 50 million for the somebody else. So that's the only reason I can think that they're reasonably relaxed about selling Zinchenko without having somebody brought in. Dave, how, how crucial is it to you? Massive. Um, I can't really think of a point where I've not been here in summer saying we need a left back. I, I, I can't really think of a season where that's not been the equation. But I think now it's more important than ever. We have two recognised fullbacks. We have basically gone for a transfer policy, rightly or wrongly, in which we have sold most of our wingers. The, the players we play in those wide positions, you know, the, sort of in the 4-3-3, are much more suited to cutting inside. Therefore, your width has to come from your fullbacks. Injuries to fullbacks will be a big issue for the way we set up to play. I think we need one. Um, I mean, I didn't have a particularly strong opinion on Couturea coming out of the... Um, the end of last season um, I didn't I, I mean his his stats looked okay I mean I think registered something like three assists all season I mean it, it wasn't sort of you know um, smash the lights out um, and if you know the the valuation we have on him is 40 million and no further that probably suggests that there's some doubt in the scouts mind is he the perfect signing we've seen how prepared we are to spend larger figures when it's the player we really want and you know we, we've been very prepared to go to sort of 60 70 when that's happened and of course 100 million in the case of Grealish but you know this is a player we can't go without closing out and I think there are some interesting options in in Europe who are available and the one that just keeps going through my mind is Jose Gaia at Valencia. He's played for Spain quite a few times. He's got 12 months left on contract. Valencia, usually a club that need, um, you know, need money. They've often been quite willing sellers and he, he is captain them. He's a player they wouldn't want to readily lose, but given his contract situation, he's someone who could potentially be an option. He's much more, you know, he's a maybe more attacking focus left back, you know, not the biggest, but he is a very good player. And in turn, Alex Grimaldo at Benfica has been touted as available in sort of sub 20 million fees. So, you know, there are options in the market. I think both, I think uh, certainly um, Grimaldo, you know, used to play in La Liga. Um, Guy has been playing in La Liga. They're players that Pep would be very aware of. You know, it surprises me that those names have not been maybe pushed forward, given that they will be available at better fees and will probably suit the way we play quite well, I think. Okay, well, time will tell. We'll obviously keep a close eye on that. Uh, Let us know what you think about the left hand, the left hand, the left back situation. Uh, As you know, we're at City Podcast. Let let us know your thoughts on that. Um, Listen, let's let's touch on the Community Shield. as I've said many times, it's a, it's a friendly if you lose it, but it's a major trophy, of course, if you win it. And as, as, as Liverpool have won it, it's clearly already a major trophy. So congratulations to them. City not quite at the races. Uh, and we've obviously got, we have touched on that, that 
big miss, a few, few talking points. But can we really learn very much, Sarah, from a from a preseason friendly in July in the middle of the summer? Is is there much we can read into this really? Um, well, I mean, we, we we lost the Community Shield last season. It didn't do us any harm, did it? I, I guess you know, it's it's a standard thing as a football fan, especially playing Liverpool. Of course, we wanted to win, and I was slightly more optimistic because I thought we played pretty well against Bayern. And Bayern were, I think, were a couple of weeks ahead of us in terms of their pre-season preparation. So I was, you know, we we're going to see Harlan was going to do miles better than Nunes, and it was a good one. To- and of course, everything got turned on its head. And so, no, I'm not. I'm not devastated. I'm not worried as a result of it. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I wish we'd won because I always wanted to win. Stato, disappointed, sort of impaling yourself on the bread knife. You know, where where are you emotionally after the uh, the defeat at Leicester? I know you were so, there again. As, as you as you you're obviously a home and away man. You were you were there again at Leicester. I know. I, well, I was there, but I'm absolutely delighted we lost. Hesitate to let it all uh, sink in because 10 out of the left, last 11 Community Shield winners have failed to win the league. We're the only team that did it when we beat Chelsea uh, a couple of years, a few years back. So every other winner of the Community Shield has failed to win the league the following season. So well done Liverpool for winning that. Now you can't win the league. So it's ours to, ours to lose again. With 38 matches to go, it's already ours to lose. David Hodgson, ours to lose. The, the community shield is an irrelevance when you lose it. I mean, by extension of the fact I'm usually on here ranting about how the Carabao Cup is meaningless, I feel I should probably say the same for Community Shield as well. And it, it is. I mean, it is a glorified friendly. We've been, you know, as, as, as we covered. Um, I think, you know, we may be... One criticism I could give of Manchester City in recent years is we tend to be a little bit slow out the blocks. Um, usually there's a bad result early doors that means we aren't the sort of breakaway leader as the season starts and our form tends to kick off sort of December, January, February. And indeed, this is something that Pep's uh, fitness coach, uh, Lorenzo Buenaventura, has said is a very key part of the strategy that he aims to get the players at peak fitness for that that run in. And that's generally where we've been able to differentiate ourselves. Hopefully it gives it, you know, that's got that... Um, sort of early, early bad result out the system. And it's shown a little bit of what we need to be working on going into the season. Um, I think there were some points that did worry me a bit more. I thought the fact that Cancelo did really struggle with Salah is something that we hopefully will spur us into a bit more action on the left back front as we, as we discussed. But, you know, it's early. There's players to be bedded in. Um, I mean, you know, Liverpool, only, I think, you know, just, just doing the quick mental calculation, they only really have one new signing out there. You know, we've got, um, you know, a few players who've left, a few players coming in. It's a little bit different there. Um, but, you know, fair play to them. I think they, they, did deserve to, they did deserve to win it. Hopefully we just take some learning points and that, that's something we can take into the season. Let's talk about the season then, picking up on that. And, and let's briefly talk about West Ham, uh, which, of course, is our first fixture away at the London Stadium uh, at the weekend. Um, Stato, your, your thoughts ahead of that game, but particularly kind of the season ahead as well, your kind of hopes and fears as we look forward. Um, I sort of hesitate before I ask you, because I think I asked at the end of last season anyway, kind of the... Uh, Premier League or Champions League? Is, is this our season for the Champions League? But just touch on, on West Ham first and maybe then sort of look forward to the, the rest of the season as well for us. Uh, West Ham won't be an easy game because, as Dave said, we are a little bit undercooked. We always seem to be at the beginning of the season. We only lost one away game all last season and that was the opening game at Tottenham. Um, 
I'd like to think we can pick up three points against West Ham, but it will be a tricky match, as we saw at the end of last season, when we only came away with there with a two-all draw, and it could, we could have won it, but we could have equally, at half-time, we were 2-0 down, so we did well. A uh, tricky game. Uh, I'll be delighted if we come away with that with three points. Um, rest of the season, hopes are we win the league. Clear, <laughs> as simple as that. I mean, as a City fan, you've got to hope that we're at least in the mix. Um, if we're pipped to the, the post, that's life. But I think we should be there or thereabouts. Cup competitions, I would love to win the Champions League. I think we've got so far, so often, I've been pipped at the post through whatever reasons. doesn't matter the reasons, but uh, Real Madrid last year in the semi-finals was heartbreaking. Uh, losing to Chelsea this season before in the final was heartbreaking. So let's go that step further and, and win it this season because I think it's important for the club that we can get that monkey off our back and just go on and, and, and take it. So I'll just accept from now the Champions League, Premier League double, and I'll be happy. And Sarah, before you look forward as well to the, the full season and, and your hopes and fears, in terms of the weekend, in terms of the side that Pep's going to put out there, similar to the one he put out, do you think, at the uh, the Community Shield? It was reasonably full strength, wasn't it? Um, he, he could have made a few changes, but it's kind of what you expected, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't think there'll be substantial change. I guess the interesting thing will be what he, you know, Foden and Alvarez start up front as opposed to Grealish and Mahrez because they didn't, neither of those two cover themselves in particular glory. We definitely looked more potent when Foden and Alvarez came on. I I guess there's that decision to be made. Um, It's a tricky first game, but um, I always think get a tricky away game out of the way early on in the season. Because West Ham, we don't know how well prepared they are. They've got a new striker. Sometimes you are better off playing these games early. In terms of the season, um, look, you know, like every City fan, I want us to win every competition we enter, and I'd be delighted if we do. But I think this is the first season where, uh, and I realise it's sacrilege to say this, but I would, if I had to choose between the Premier League and the Champions League, I would choose the Champions League season. And it's not because I don't, I'm blasé about winning the Premier League. I'm Want it, but if I had to choose, it is time we won the Champions League. So that would be my my choice if I had to make it. It's interesting, Dave, isn't it? I mean, I've been, this is the tenth season I've been doing this podcast, um, and every single season up until this point, every single City fan, pretty much, when I've asked this question, has always said, "Dominate your domestic competition, win the Premier League, and we'll win the Champions League." But increasingly, talking to City fans and certainly the guests on this show at the end of last season, and and starting with Sarah now and and, and Stato to a certain degree, are all now starting to say, "It's it, we've got to win the Champions League now." This is our season we've got to win it are are you kind of in that position and then maybe when you've done that you can come and give us a brief view about the the weekend's game as well I mean we have we have to win the Champions League at some point it is clearly you know I'm not saying that we have to in terms of fate I'm saying that in terms of how the management think about you know Manchester City it is one of the biggest aims of this club is to to achieve that European that European trophy that we've all been craving I think I, I don't quite buy into the argument that you can under-prioritise the league and that will help you in the Champions League. I mean, there's going to be points where, you know, particularly when it gets to the quarter-final and semi-final stage, you know, you do have often a game sandwiched between them and you just hope to God it's not, you know, Liverpool away or Chelsea away or something like that. But, you know, I, I think it's quite a dangerous strategy to underplay the league because the Champions League, as we've seen, turns on moments. You know, they're just sudden moments where, like Real Madrid did to us, you know, even if we were, you know, 
all, you know, had, had, you know, rested absolutely everyone in the Premier League, those moments can still sting you. You know, we lost Kyle Walker at a vital moment and that cost us in that game. So, you know, I will always say the momentum in a season comes from the league. I think under-prioritising the league is dangerous. I am also very biased in that I really don't like the alternative of who would win the league if we don't. And I think that maybe pushes me to say I would rather win the league than the Champions League. Um, but, you know, I think the, um, it's very, you know, it's, it's one of those things that your season is defined by how you do in the league because it's the bulk of your games and that's how you get the, the confidence and the momentum building. And, you know, look, I think West Ham is going to be a, a very interesting, very stern test to begin with. I think David Moyes has found that formula that he found at Everton where he's got a very tight, cohesive side with players who play better than the, you know, than the sum of their parts, really. And it's definitely not a place you um, you want to go at a key point in the season. I think, you know, the sometimes the randomness of the start can be a good time to get these games out of the way because, you know, it's a place where you can very easily drop a good number of points. Um, I would like to think we will win. I would like to think that we will... Um, it will be a good test for Haaland as well to see how a Premier League defence sets up because they do tend to sit quite deep against us too. But, you know, it, it is also the sort of game we should be winning. And I would like to think that we can come away sort of 2-1. You know, I think I think that's very, very possible. And it's the sort of sort of thing we should be aiming for to go there, attack, but, you know, make sure that we uh, we don't let them hit us on the break, which particularly Jared Bowen has had a bit of a tendency to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, so much to discuss. I think we've kind of scratched the surface on some of, some of it. Uh, we've gone a bit deeper on some of the rest of it, and I'm sure uh, we look forward to uh, future weeks and having you guys back on as well. But for this week, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you to my three guests, to Stato Paul Denby, to Sarah Messenger and Dave Hodgson. This is Nigel Rothband saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at Media dot co dot uk sports social podcast network